When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Wrestling Inc. Wakey, wakey. It is time to get going. It is the final Winkly of the Wink here on Thursday. It is me, your managing editor, Nick Hausman, joined as always on Thursdays here by our good friend, Justin Labar. Justin, welcome back to the Winkly. Uh, good to talk to you. I'm glad to, glad to see you're uh, defrosted and, and back with society today. It was spooky yesterday, man, because, uh, yeah, Raj, first I have to give uh, a lot of props to Raj Geary, owner of the site, jumped in, did the hosting duties yesterday. Uh, I lost all the internet in my apartment, and I can't, like, run to an internet cafe right now because they're all closed because it's negative 40 degrees outside. So, uh, unexpected day off for me, but thank you to Justin, Raj, you guys were great yesterday keeping it going. I really appreciate it. We do what we can do when we can do it. Well, I'm back. I'm back. Better than ever. We're going to get to it today. A lot to talk about. I was very upset that I didn't get to talk yesterday because, of course, WWE confirmed Dean Ambrose's release yesterday. I have some thoughts on that. I know it was discussed yesterday. We'll talk about that. Uh, but also, uh, uh, on this show today, if you're listening on iTunes, Wrestling Inc. Audio, you're going to get the full show. You're not going to get just Justin and I talking about the news. It's it's going to have two exclusive interviews for you guys as well. Over on the full Weekly edition over on iTunes. You're going to get an interview with Eli Drake from Impact Wrestling, and you're also going to get an interview with the composer for Fighting With My Family, Vic Sharma. Uh, it was an unexpectedly amazing interview for me. I've never interviewed a composer before. Vic was great. Delightful British gentleman. Um, so I think you guys are, are really going to dig it. I think I, I in this interview, I informed him that The Rock does, in fact, play guitar. He didn't know that. So no collaboration there. <laughs> no collaboration. Um, let's get to it here. Oh, actually, one more thing. One more bit of housekeeping. Starting next week, we are going to retire the YouTube live feed of Wrestling Inc., The Winkly. It is just a lot of work and other aspects that go into doing the live show. Not really destination programming here in the middle of the day. So to keep it simple, in the future, if you want The Winkly, three days a week, Tuesday through Thursday, head on over, subscribe to Wrestling Inc. Audio. I'll be able to get the show out quicker. I'll be able to uh, give it more pizzazz with some of the other things that I do on the back end. So going forward, if you like the show, if you like me, Michael Weissman, Justin Labar, subscribe to Wrestling Inc. Audio. Let's take some of the views we've got here on YouTube, transfer them over to the iTunes. That's all I ask. All right, wonderful. News. Time for news you can use. News that'll leave a bruise. Um, I, I'm very intrigued by this first story here. Wrestling Observer reporting that WWE was reportedly stunned. The people backstage in WWE were stunned by Chris Jericho's decision to sign with AEW. Now, not so much the fact that Chris Jericho did sign with AEW. What I guess they were more stunned by was the gigantic sum of money that Chris Jericho got to sign with AEW. It's not more than John Cena or Brock Lesnar make, uh, according to The Observer, but it is a lot of money. And it does kind of put the idea out there. You know, we talked 
last week about, you know, the potential of a Ronda Rousey becoming a free agent. Well, it's no secret that around, around WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar's contract tends to come up. Vince backs up a <clears throat> home security truck. So Vince is likely to pay anything to keep Brock Lesnar. But Chris Jericho wants a match with, uh, with Brock Lesnar. That's never been a secret. He's got a lot of clout right now in AEW. This kind of explains maybe why he was taking pot shots at Brock during the Rumble, maybe <laughs> trying to inch him over the line so that if when Brock does become available as a free agent, I feel crazy saying this out loud. Maybe AEW would make a play for him. Now, is that as crazy as I say it out loud to you, Justin? No, it's not when you think about it. Um, you know, uh, you know, as, as you and I have talked, and I said there's certain guys that are just, you know, loyal, you know, like guys like John Cena, guys like Randy Orton, that I just could never see breaking away from WWE, no amount of money, there's certain loyalty. You know, Brock Lesnar, he is the kind of guy, I mean, you know, he he – he doesn't want to travel much. Doesn't want to spend much time on an airplane. <clears throat> he wants to be paid well. Uh, he, you know, he's proven that he that he is kind of I, he is. I think he's he's worth his worth. You know, he he does uh, he is a, he is a significant draw. So I mean, you know, uh, it, 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 I guess if the, if the, if the money's there, and especially if it's like, look, you know, we we want you for a two or three show. We'll build the one match commitment, and we'll see what happens after that. Um, and again, you know, no no crazy travel. Um, yeah, I don't think it's impossible, you know, I, I mean, especially from a, you know, from a creative standpoint, Brock has done uh, a lot in WWE. There's not much more you can do. In fact, I, you know, I, I, it makes me actually wonder after we get through this year's WrestleMania, really, wh who else is there left uh, for him to work? So in WWE, so uh, it's, it's, it, it might not be the most probable thing to bet on, but I certainly don't think it's the craziest thing. I mean, cause I, I've heard what I, you know, Jericho's salary figure. And if, if they're willing to pay that to Jer Jericho, they could certainly shape up a deal for Brock. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing right now is this is <clears throat> this is getting real, right? This is no longer just oh, I see that maybe that's maybe that house is having a fire like in their fireplace. That's why there's smoke. No, the house is on fire, right? Like people are <laughs> people are leaving now. Big money is being thrown around. This is a very different environment for pro wrestling. Uh, I, I'll start by saying, you know, PW Insider confirmed that Hideo Itami is looking for his WWE release, has requested his release. It has not yet officially been granted, but it will. And when he does leave, he'll be under a 90-day non-compete. He is expected to return home to Japan. But that's another guy that's just out the door for them. Um, and with somebody that was very different, you know, Brock Lesnar comes in and he's Brock Lesnar, a lot of clout in the North American market. Hideo Itami, they were really trying to use him to, to branch out into that Japanese market. Made a big deal with him as Kenta. Didn't keep the Kenta name, probably a misstep. And they had Hulk Hogan sign him over in Japan in a huge contract signing ceremony. Really went all out with this guy. I mean, what does it say that an experiment like Hideo Itami, that they put so much, they put all the resources in, but it just didn't work out, and now he's just leaving? I mean, what kind of a message does that send? Well, I mean, you know, I think we also have to keep in mind that it's not, you know, Hideo Itami's run was, you know, just stopping, stop and go, you know, injuries and. You know, I mentioned this yesterday. I talk about it at great length on my wrestling reality podcast that got released this morning that people can check out. Hideo Tommy is one of the last of the people that had, you know, a certain level of credibility that WWE signed and also, you know, changed their name. Really, since then, they, 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 WWE has kept true to letting the Nakamura stay Nakamura, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, you know, the list goes on. And that does do something, I think. It does take away, potentially could take away. Um, you know, but the fact that he's, I, I, I don't think that his departure necessarily speaks as many volumes as 
um, what Jericho's departure or, or Jericho's choosing no. to sign AEW or, 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 or Dean Ambrose's is presumed departure, you know, because I, I don't think Hideo Tommy's departure speaks as much because his run just hasn't been, you know, it just never has clicked. So I think it's kind of like, yeah, you know, I could see him just saying, yeah, you know, I'd like to leave and WWE being willing to let him go because they realize it's just not panned out the way they thought. Also, I mean, yeah, I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't think it speaks as loudly. So I'm not, I'm not really that as, as shocked. I don't think this one's as, as earth shattering. But you know, that's the thing is like Impact Wrestling had this habit or still has this habit where like they'll just let guys go, right? They don't care, you know, if if Kevin Nash wants to show up at the Royal Rumble, which is a thing that Impact just let happen a couple years ago. Well, that know? that that. I, mean, I was heavily involved in that situation. That was not something Impact just let happen. I'll tell you that. Okay. All right. Fair. Fair. We, do you want to rehash this real fast? What do you? What did you know about that? Now I'm interested. Well, I mean, I guess I guess the statute of limitations is probably up. Um, I, yeah. I I helped concoct Kevin Nash's PR that he wanted. Kevin, uh, that that year, that summer of 2011, or summer 2011, uh, January of 2011. Excuse me. Um, Vince wanted Nash in the Rumble. He wanted him to come back as Diesel. Remember, we haven't seen Kevin at that point in, you know, six, seven years in WWE. And he had pretty much kind of gotten to his end with TNA. It's like there's not much more to do. He's kind of, I think, unhappy. Vince wanted him. Kevin said, I'm still under TNA contract. Told Dixie. Dixie did not want to let Kevin go. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll basically just kind of say, I, I think a gun was kind of put to the head and kind of, he, he ended up getting out of his contract nonetheless. Um, I was aware of this. And let's just say that I conveniently had a camera crew at the airport when Kevin Nash showed up, that video was very viral that weekend. That really started the buzz. And remember, this is 2011, so this was um, this was the 40 man rumble, and this was also one of those years where we really started. I think the, the, the surprise, uh, the surprises in the rumble really started to amp up from this year and then further on to present day. And um, and obviously, the rest is history. Kevin showed up, uh, you know, in the rumble, and it was a big deal. And uh, that that started his relationship again, working with WWE and. Um, but yeah, but that and my, my, the whole point of what my original point oh, impact it, impact and not just let that happen. Uh, the 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 specifics that went into those few days was uh, some some serious business maneuvering. Okay, all right, fair. I got you. Maybe not the best example, but as of late, Abyss has yeah. left. EC3. There's other <clears throat> you know basically yeah. all of Impact over the past couple of years has been co opted into WWE. It's not the same thing with WWE. They're very reluctant to just let guys go if it's not working out. And to hear that Hideo Itami requested his release, was granted it, is going back to Japan. You know, for me, right now in WWE, I got to believe there's a bit of a litmus test going on right now, right? Where it's like, we need people here right now that want to be here, right? We need people here that are going to be committed to WWE, that are going to make this product look good, that are going to fight for us on the front lines. And if you're not that guy... Maybe now is the time to get out. Now, it doesn't sound like it's that way for the Revival, but their special case, obviously, they've got their whole thing baked in over to AEW. But if you're another talent that's just not happy right now, I, I, I to me, when I read this story, it does seem a bit to me like WWE's like, look, if you want to be here, be here. If not, we don't have time for this right now. We're about to go to war. Do you get that vibe at all as well? No, I don't. I get Again, I get the vibe. It's a little bit special today, Otami, and the fact that I, I think WWE was kind of I think they've kind of reached the limit with him. I don't think they really have much energy or interest anymore in him. That's why they're like, yeah, sure, you want to leave? Go ahead and leave. I don't think they, no disrespect to him, but I don't think they view him as, one, a guy that's going to massively you know, uh, be a big weapon if, if he went to AEW. And I think they also knew that, hey, this guy is going to go back to Japan. Maybe they knew something about him personally. Maybe they knew that he wasn't digging, living over here in the U.S. I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. But I think they let him go because they did, feel okay this is this is a body this is a salary that we can relieve and we don't think it's going to come back to harm us 
domestically with the war that they're potentially getting ready to engage in. The revival, different story. The revival, somebody I think they did see, hey, look, we could have, you know, we got these guys under contract. They're under our, our lock until 2020. They could be a big deal uh, for tag division if they go to AEW. Um, we're not letting them go. Dean Ambrose, they obviously didn't want to let Dean Ambrose go uh, from the report of, you know, five-year deal and significant raise because they, they know that he would be a big weapon. But Dean Ambrose seems to be holding true, and he is going to be a free agent uh, come the spring, so we think. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of, Hide- I, I still think they viewed Hideo Tommy as, I think they were, they, I think they were ready to part ways with them. So like, yeah, sure. You want to go? Well, bye-bye. Now, okay. Now at the same time, at the same token here, <clears throat> do you think that this means that they are fo- going to focus less on the Japanese market and more heavily on North America with the war that is about to be waged? Possibly. I mean, possibly. I, I, but I, I think, I think it's a case of they are just, they're literally, you know, if you are a talent that is out there, um, you know, you just have to be very, very careful because I think WWE is just going to be more aggressive in signing as many people as they can. You know, and they'll justify it as they have, you know, Raw and SmackDown as touring brands. They have two tours, the A the A and B squad of NXT here domestically. Now they have the NXT UK. So they'll try to justify it as, okay, we need X amount of bodies, but they're going to sign people just for the sake of signing them, maybe not even having any clear-cut idea or plan of what they're going to do with them, just so that way they are under contract and can't go play and be an asset elsewhere. Let's talk about Ampros here for a second, because I didn't get to play around yesterday with you and Raj and talk about what's going on with Dean. Now, I because I, I was very happy to get the uh, the confirmation from WWE as quick as we did to get it up on the site. Uh, very interesting that they would confirm that he's leaving. Even more interesting that they were so gracious about leaving the door open for him to come back to WWE. Um I started, I started poking around, started calling some folks, some folks that know Dean, or as I was texting them, Mox, right? Because that makes me seem way more hip, like I know him, and they're more willing to tell me things. Um, and what I heard repeatedly, with no verification, was that many of the people that I was t- t- speaking with, they think this is a work. They don't think this is on the level. This seems, it seemed weird. It, it did seem weird to me, too, the release email, and whatever happened on Monday Night Raw. Now, I speculated on Tuesday that maybe this guy just decided, I know I'm on my way out. I'm going to set a chair up. I'm going to grab a microphone. What are they going to do? Well, they sent Nia Jax out and they kicked him out. Seems a little suspicious to me. Do you think that there's a chance that what's going on here with Dean is not on the level? There's always a chance because it's pro wrestling. But first off, I don't think what happened Monday was some rogue moment. I don't think, you know, look, they came back from commercial. His music was playing again, which is weird because he had already lost. He right. sat there, had a live mic. No, you don't, you don't get to speak on a live mic unless Vince wants you to. Vince, I mean, you know, everybody wants to compare, you know, and everybody remembers the famous CM Punk pipe bomb. That was, Vince knew that was going to happen. Like, it, you know, you don't get, oh, you don't, you don't get to go rogue on Vince's show. Um, it's obviously always possible to be a work, but, but as I, I said this yesterday to Raj, <clears throat> for this to be a work, that would mean, like, let's remember how the origin of this started. WWE didn't wake up yesterday morning, or so we think, um, or was it yesterday or two days, whatever, whatever day it was, I'm losing track of days. You know, they, I don't think they w- woke up and, and were expecting to have to make a statement about Dean Ambrose's status months later. The origin of the story started is because PW Torch, Wade Keller, one of the longest tenure, one of the longest, you know, active, uh, you know, pro wrestling journalists, you know, reported, you know, he got it from whatever source, you know, whatever. I don't know what, what he got it somehow. Maybe it was he, Maybe. Well, and that's the thing. If, if, you know, maybe we have to get Keller on here. If, if Wade's source was Dean Ambrose, then you can say, okay, he purposely leaked this to start this whole work. 
But otherwise, like, how, how could this be a work if, if a wrestling news site's the one that started it? Obviously, Wade Keller's not on the take here. We started this show today or partially into it talking about how you helped Kevin Nash orchestrate his exit from Impact Wrestling. Well, uh, well, I helped I, I, I help, I help orchestrate the PR knowing that he was leaving Impact, the, the buzz okay. for that weekend. But, 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 but a little bit different situation. It's not like a little bit different situation. Dude, look, a press, put a press person helping orchestrate <clears throat> a storyline that would behoove Dean Ambrose. And, and that you, you don't, you don't, I don't know. I, I, I mean, you don't I don't, possible? I, I know. I, I started by saying it's it, the work is always possible in pro wrestling. You, I just, yeah, and I you know. know. Look, here's the thing is Dean could have Dean could have told that to Wade, right? Or somebody else. I'm not maybe not Dean, but somebody and I I know Wade. I've I know he's on the level, great journalist, like you said, one of the longest tenured. But somebody told somebody that he respects and trusts told him that story and he ran that story, right? Right. For what motivations that information was leaked to Wade Keller are still not totally clear to me. And in, in the environment that we're in right now where people are jumping back and forth. Everybody's got money cannons, right? What a more compelling story right now than a top WWE star, <laughs> superstar, saying, I could be a free agent come April. Now, that opens up two and a half months here where this guy could run roughshod, um, com- complete outlaw, you know, um, loose cannon here. And hey, it all makes sense. If, if, it, <laughs> if it is a work, it's well done because it's going to yeah. be the best storyline and the most buzz about him that we've seen since the original Shield. I just don't. You know, it it it, the, the, this way. This would be very new if WWE decided, okay, we're gonna purposely leak something to go ahead and just. Uh... You know, it's twenty. It's it's twenty nineteen. It's not the Attitude Era, right? You got to play the the fans a different, a little bit different way. You, you, this is a very outside the box type scenario that I'm laying out here. But within the context <clears throat> of everything that I've seen here, I'm not gonna rule it out because. Well, like, and it, and if it is, and if it is. If, if, if people if somebody would be wondering like okay why like what's the point of doing this i mean it's it, it's a matter of drumming up interest around a guy who already you know was kind of like you know floundering and you know just i think a lot of people felt not reaching his full potential as a single star this just generates a very real type of storyline so again if it's a work this is a well done one to generate interest and buzz around dean ambrose and that he's you know against the authority and he's against the establishment um now, whether or not they'd have uh, a justifiable and a good enough payoff or what that payoff would be down the line, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, as everybody right now is buzzing, wondering who's going to leave, who's going to AEW. If WWE wanted to go ahead and try to play that game and make a part of a storyline, then I give them uh, I give them applause. I'm just not ready to say that that's, like, 100% what's going on here. It's just weird to me. Like, wh- why would he put his wife Renee in that situation, you know? Well, you know, but I, I don't, I don't think that's that big of a, you know what I mean? Like, look, if he's leaving, he would not be the first, it would not be the first time that like somebody leaves and, and their spouse is still to come. I mean, you know, I don't think that's that big of a deal. If he decides that he just wants to leave. Um, I, like AJ was right behind him. Yeah. Uh, yes. But again, but that was also, you know, this is Dean Ambrose leaving. So he's just fed up with creative. The punk thing got pretty personal with the quiz. True, true. So. True. Yeah. And with and with Ambrose, too, you know, you think about the people that you could realistically pull off the kind of situation we're talking about right now. You know, uh, the other day I was talking with Weissman about him and Ziggler being like guys you would consider to be lifers and are surprised to hear even in this kind of conversation. So to that to that end, he's the kind of guy I feel like maybe you could play around with this because, you know, he's been there long enough where he's been up and down. And maybe you could trust him to pull this off. But also 
with with Ambrose, this guy is notoriously reclusive. He doesn't really use social media. He doesn't use social media. I don't think he has like an active Twitter account. You know, he's very tight lipped. He's very quiet. A lot of mystery to this guy. I mean, if you had to pick one guy on the roster that could pull this off, I would think it would be Dan, Dean Ambrose. No, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. He he that he leave, he has far less opportunity to be exposed because he doesn't put all of his self out there <clears throat> like most other talents. So I, I will give you that one. Yes. Um, uh, on that note, uh, John Cena shared a photo of Johnny Moxley on Instagram um, from like high school. It's like high school photo. <laughs> yeah. John, John Cena does a lot of weird stuff, but um, again, it's like, ooh, what's going on here? Well, hasn't um, seen hasn't hasn't Cena also like posted like Kenny Omega and like he I think like I think Cena like uses his Instagram like to troll people. You should just put the AEW logo up, right? Oh my God! We, get everybody talking. Just you know, if if if, if John's out there watching, <laughs> please. Please wait until any one of us uh, notes that it's a slow week and we're curious how we're going to fill the podcast minutes and go ahead and do that. What about a live countdown that ends on February 7th, the pool party, right? Just a countdown clock on this Instagram <sighs> feed. Yeah, I think that's good. That's very hip right now, those countdown clocks. Um, on the note, I, I brought up AJ Lee. Uh, I have to uh, shout out. She uh, she gave props to Zelina Vega on Twitter for the portrayal of her, AJ Lee, in the movie Fighting With My Family which we'll hear a little bit about uh, later on the show. Interesting. You don't really see a whole lot of stuff between AJ and the WWE roster. I wouldn't think that relationship is thawed, but who knows? Um, also, uh, we were talking a bit about um, Hideo Itami and that group of guys that really haven't um, found their niche in WWE. And I, there was an interesting note here I, I wanted to, to bring to light. Uh, Yahoo Sports interviewed Daniel Bryan. Uh, he said he wants to have a hair versus mask match at some point with Grand Metalik. And in the interview, he talks about how really some of the best wrestlers in WWE right now are in 205 Live. And, you know, when you think about all the guys that could be coming and going or women or wrestlers coming and going into another company elsewhere, they do have a pocket of very accomplished wrestlers right there in 205 Live that have not been overexposed yet. And, you know, I think we've seen with Mustafa Ali, you know, this guy, as soon as he got into the SmackDown Live mix, he was ready to hang, and he feels different, and now we've got fresh matchups. I do I do wonder if 205 Live, the perception of 205 <laughs> is going to change here a little bit in regards to uh, these guys getting a second look, maybe even incorporating them a bit more into the main roster. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think I think the I think I think we've seen two interesting examples of good crossover. I, I don't think excuse me, I don't think that um, you know, in order to keep 205 Live still something. You can't have it be a complete two-way street. You can't have everybody in 205 Live also actively appearing on Raw and SmackDown. But I think that there doesn't need to be this um, cement wall around 205 Live. I do think that, you know, within reason, you can let guys, you know, I, I think, you know, Mustafa Ali has proven to be so far in the short time frame to be a good example. I think Leo Rush um, being a, a talking piece, and we've seen him get a little physical and have a match or two with Lashley, but then also still being able to appear on 205 Live. Uh, you know, Daniel Bryan's right. Grand Metalik, very talented guy. Let's say Dorado, very talented. Obviously, we've seen a lot of Kalisto. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, 205 Live, and, and there's many more I'm leaving out, but you know, I mean, 205, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, 205 Live does have a lot of talent. So I think within reason, if you, again, you can't take everybody at once, but I think if they wanted to have a <clears throat> three or four week thing, kind of like they did with Mustafa, where, you know, all of a sudden, let's just say Grand Metalik is, is having a, uh, an open challenge or, or getting an open challenge with Dan O'Brien on SmackDown, I, that's okay. And then Grand Metal League goes back to 205 Live. Now maybe we've just added some credibility to 205 Live because this guy just hang uh, was just hanging with you know Dan O'Brien you know for a couple of weeks. So I, I think it can be done wisely. I think it's I think it's I think it's the 
is exactly what Triple H always talks about on, on the media calls, which is the building to the fact that it's not just, oh, you get called up from NXT, but hey, maybe if it's nothing for you on SmackDown, you go to NXT uh, for, you know, and, and it not be deemed as a demotion. I think they really need to work on these brands all having you know, some aspect of a two-way street um, because, of it, cause, because if it's all just NXT, NXT UK, 205 Live, and everything just filters up to Raw and SmackDown, we're going to continue to see more and more problems of people not panning out on Raw and SmackDown. But if you can say, look, we don't got anything for the next couple of months, or perfect example, uh, one of the authors of pain guys is injured. So the one that's healthy, rather than having him, you know, just to do nothing or just appear on dark matches before Raw or SmackDown, maybe let him go to, to an NXT brand, an NXT UK brand, and just, and just have a singles run because he's healthy. Why waste? You know, like I think situations like that would be, you know, that's when we really need to see some two ways going on here. I'm all with you on that one. Razor uh, with Drake Maverick, when they came out uh, for the kickoff show at, at Royal Rumble, I didn't know that he was going to be tagging with, with one half of the revival there. But when he came out with just Drake as an opposing singles competitor, similar thoughts to me. I was like, I don't know if it would be an NXT, but definitely was interested in seeing him as a singles competitor to just get used. And on your note about what, what Triple H has said about moving these guys around, I'm surprised we haven't seen more of that up to this point. You know, well, a guy, a lot of guys that could use it, you know. My guess is, and maybe this is a question that I should ask next time we get to talk to Triple H, my guess would be maybe one of the things that, that's holding up. Uh, and and we, we have seen a few times where guys will come in up here, like one-offs at NXT, and we've seen Ryder do it. We've seen a couple other people. Sure. But I, I would suspect that maybe one of the things that's, that, that's preventing this from happening faster is NXT is still not a profitable brand by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if it's like, okay, you're paying said person who now, who who has been on Raw or SmackDown X amount of dollars, um, now having to pay them that guarantee and they're being utilized on a brand that's not recoup. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's a financial thing. Maybe it's what I'm getting at. I, I don't yeah. know, you know, but. Yeah. It's it's a very interesting, you know, I brought this up earlier last week, something like that. I still think, I think NXT, the way it's put together right now is their silver bullet. If AEW does go uh, on TNT on like Tuesday nights, right? They do do Tuesday night dynamite. You could slot NXT over on FS1 head to head. That's your, that's your legitimate alternative to an AEW product with the kind of talent you have in NXT right now. I yeah. can see them, you know, I, I, that's why I think they've, they've kept NXT in the, the stalling pattern that they have. Um, but again, you know, back to a Tommy here, you know, we were talking about Daniel Bryan and, and what he did with Ali. You know, I remember that report about how there was, you know, Daniel Bryan, maybe he's going to face a 205 live each guy each week to, to get these guys elevated or whatever. You know, Hideo with Tommy, Daniel Bryan, that's a match that I really enjoyed. And I wonder if he had a chance to perform on that platform, let Daniel Bryan give him the same treatment that he gave Ali if they couldn't have got more out of Hideo with Tommy. And um, I'm just surprised to see they didn't give that a realistic chance. They always just seem to slot him in some weird multi-man 205 match. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you could probably make that case for, you know, a lot. You know, what if what if Daniel Bryan wasn't medically disqualified when Neville had his falling out with WWE and Neville got to do more work with Daniel Bryan? Would Neville be, you know, I mean, I think we can do a lot of woulda, couldas. Let's go back to, you know, Hideo Tommy is one of two of the biggest international signings that WWE touted that really kind of flopped in WWE. The other one being the original Sin Cara. So, if, you know, had the original Sin Cara, let's, I mean, that's, let's, uh, and now we're going back to, again, I think, what, 2011, I think. Um, you know, had the original Sin Cara, had something different worked out there, you know, what what would have, what what could have been. I mean, there's always the woulda, coulda, shouldas, but yeah, I mean, we've certainly proven that, you know, letting Dan O'Brien work with some of these guys one-off, you know, that, that that's a good rub that can help out. 
Yeah, and I'm happy to hear that Daniel's reaching down and pulling these guys up. You know, he he's in a position right now to do it, and it, you know, it's not just it, it's not just his time, right? Obviously, they're you know everybody's getting special deals, special treatment right now. It's good to see that they're listening to Daniel and letting him pick people he thinks that he can work well with, and that would blend well with the SmackDown roster. I was very heartened to hear Daniel Bryan make these comments about the 205 live roster because I do think there's a lot of talent down there that if they got the chance to get in there with Daniel could really shine a little bit brighter. Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, Daniel, you know, Daniel Bryan has said many times, uh, I know he said it to me in an interview once, and I've heard him in other places where he said, like, you know, he was a little unique growing up. He he wasn't a big fan of, you know, The Undertaker or whatever. He, his favorite wrestler was Dean Malenko. Like, he, you know, that he's just into that style, which is nothing wrong with it. But, you know, that's so, yeah, let him, you know, Brian, Brian has a little bit of stroke now. Let him, let him exercise that. A couple a couple of things here before we get to interviews. Uh, the Observer also reported that the uh, plan originally for Charlotte and Ronda and Becky was to do Charlotte versus Ronda at the Rumble and then do Becky versus Ronda at Mania. But the plans, I mean, you got to go read this report over on Wrestling Inc. of what Observer had to say. You know, the plans this past year have changed so much due to different pushes and injuries and things like that. It does sound like they finally just settled on, you know what, hey, we're going to do the triple threat Becky, Ronda, Charlotte at WrestleMania to give Becky and Charlotte the rub of being in the main event alongside Ronda Rousey. You know, after Monday night, um, do you still see Ronda, Becky, Charlotte as the main event, or do you see uh, Brock versus Seth Rollins as the main event? I see the Ronda match, whether it's Ronda straight up against Becky or whether it becomes a triple threat. And I think it will be a triple threat. I think that is, that is your main event. I think that is, uh, I think that's going to take higher billing than Brock versus Seth Rollins. What was your take on Ronda just totally blanking on Monday night? Um, you know, I mean, uh, it, it, a tough crowd on her, and I'm not really sure why the crowd is getting. I mean, I know, I know, the, I know the the Rumble weekend, SummerSlam weekend, Mania weekend. I know those are special crowds. Those are your going to be your harshest critics. Not sure why. I mean, here's a person who is passionate about. It's not like she is somebody who they had to like teach pro wrestling to. Like she loves pro wrestling, so she's passionate. Put her time in, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, she it, it showed her an experience of, of of having to be in front of a live crowd. For the most part, she's been in front of the live crowd at WWE in her first year, and it's been a pretty welcoming crowd. So this is the first time she really had to deal with pushback, and that obviously threw her off. Uh, any of us who have ever been on live TV or live radio, it happens. You do, you know, it's, it happens just sometimes when you just have a a, a lost train of thought. Never mind when you have fifteen thousand people that are trying to purposely throw you off your game. So, um, but but I, I, funny enough. While I'm sure in the moment she didn't enjoy it, the fact that she did get a little flustered by the crowd who was chaining Becky made that segment work even more once it was completely done. When back when Becky finally comes out and they're and they're now toe to toe verbally sparring, it 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 made it that much more real because it's like, oh my god, I can totally buy this because just two minutes ago Ronda Rousey was getting flustered because these people wouldn't stop chaining for Becky, so it kind of worked in a weird way. Yeah, I just want to hear your take on it. I mean, it's 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 going to be one of those segments that get dissected for the next 10 years. You know, it was such an interesting moment in time there with Becky looking so strong. Um, so we'll see. I think there is something to the idea that you're right. It makes it feel more real because she's a human being, you know, that's not just like a robot saying the lines that they're supposed to say. Um, <clears throat> lastly here, I thought this was interesting. Uh, Impact Wrestling, MLW, have announced that they are coordinating WrestleMania weekend for their shows um, in, in the New York area. They're going to be sharing talent. Um, these are two of the bigger promotions coming together uh, on the North American market. Um, it, it, you know, Conan is backstage uh, agent for both of these promotions. I'm sure that he helped bring Impact and MLW together. 
But what do you think about the idea that Impact and MLW are now chummy and working together? Um, do you have any take on that? I, I think it, it you know, might as well share the resources. You know, neither neither one of them independently is going to take over the wrestling world, or neither one of them independently is going to make as big of a dent as they would had had they had they just share resources of personnel, finances, venues, etc. So I think it, it makes sense. Yeah, especially with the uh, the raid from Ring of Honor and and AEW on that MLW roster and the recent misses don Callis talked about possibly bringing kenny omega and chris jericho into impact wrestling these two entities are just made for each other right now i'm I'm interested to watch how this dynamic uh rolls out all right well with that if you are listening on itunes going forward that's the only place you're gonna be able to find the weekly you are about to get two big interviews here today on our thursday edition the first one's going to be with impact wrestling superstar eli drake and the second is going to be with the composer for fighting with my family vic sharma at this time, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show Impact Wrestling star Eli Drake. Eli, welcome back to the Winkley. What's up, man? How's it going? It's good. Uh, I just saw uh, a photo of you that went viral on the internet about an hour or so ago. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. What happens? Well, I think that you were at uh, the SHOT Show in Vegas with Ty Valkyrie, Impact Women's Knockouts yeah. Champion. And mm-hmm. did you guys run into The Undertaker? No. No, I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, I'm pretty sure that it, no. on, on your Twitter feed, there is a photo of you and Taya and The Undertaker at the SHOT Show. No, the only picture I put up from the SHOT Show was just us with a fan, so I'm, I'm not sure kinda, uh, who's in that picture. You tagged Undertaker. I don't know his name. You tagged Undertaker, though, in the photo. Well, I mean, he might have he looked kind of like him, but... I think that was him. What was what was that like? <laughs> what, what, what was that? How did this happen? What, no, how, how did that happen? You know, you know it's, it's, it's really funny. Uh, I, I, I was just uh, telling Taya, I, I just saw a photo of myself that was posted on Instagram. Uh, that's they just posted maybe 10 minutes before that. And I was like, man, my eyes look so tired right now. Like I look like 1991 undertaker when he had like the makeup under his eyes. And I'm, I, I not 10 seconds later than that, I turned around and he's right there. Uh, and he was just like, he was like, oh, I didn't know that we got wrestlers here. And he came over and introduced himself. Um, and then, uh, we took a picture and then, uh, he went on his way. Did he know you guys were with impact I, or just thought you were wrestlers? <laughs> I mean, he, he knew when he saw us and the whole setup that we were wrestlers now, whether he knew us particularly, I have no idea. Not a clue. Um, wow. But uh, he came by, and then, what, maybe 10 minutes later, we saw Goldberg. <laughs> man, so, I know. Uh, oh, man. I know Undertaker's. Shot show. Yeah, I know Undertaker's a gun enthusiast. I wasn't in, uh, shocked to see him at the shot show. I was just shocked to see you guys all in the same photo together. That's gotten, that's gotten people in trouble in the past, things like that. I have to think that uh, The Undertaker is a made guy and kind of untouchable at this point. He probably really uh, couldn't give a crap about any of that. Yeah, fair. Um, well, I had to start with that because it just happened. But you uh, you just tangoed uh, with a, a Hall of Famer of your own, the Impact Hall of Famer, Abyss, in his signature match, the Monsters Ball match. You beat him at homecoming. Uh, first of all, how are you doing? How are you feeling physically following that bout? That was a brutal bout. Well, it, it's been a couple of weeks, so I'm okay now, but those first couple of days were a little tricky. I can remember uh, the, the weirdest part was that my my triceps hurt the next day, and I, I couldn't understand why until I remember picking, um, 
kicking thumbtacks out of my triceps. I think I might have hit a couple nerves in there. Um, the, the back kind of looked like I had chicken pox for about the next three or four days. Uh, really, the worst part was I kind of got road rash on like the bottom of my ass as I went through the table. Um, so uh, a little beat up, not really a normal match that I would ever do. Uh, and if it's the first in this career and the last in my career, I'm okay with that. Man, yeah, because you didn't, you know, some guys will go like Eddie Edwards style into a into a fight like that, jeans. You went in your gear, no shirt. Have you ever taken, have you ever fallen into thumbtacks like that before? Not, no, <laughs> not in my life ever. But I mean, uh, what what I, I think I said it before the match, a man with the monster balls. You're talking about a man in three quarters. If there's any more of me, there'd be two of me standing here. So uh, at that point, it's just kind of like, if I'm going to go out there and do it, I'm having a match, I'm going to put on my regular gear and, uh, like I said, once in a lifetime. I can't see that happening again. <laughs> Look brutal. Um, what does it mean to you to have a victory over somebody of the stature of Abyss and Impact Wrestling? Well, I mean, that, that's huge, especially when you consider the match that it was, uh, being Monster's Ball, it's his namesake. Um, so that, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, it's kind of given me a nod in a certain sense. So uh, I dig that. Yeah, absolutely. What did you uh, What did you learn getting to work with Abyss through this? Uh, I learned that uh, don't try and tie his wrists together with, uh, uh, <laughs> what is that, uh, zip ties. Um, <laughs> he just busted right through it. Um, but, I, I mean, it was just kind of, um, man, like, like you said, it's kind of some stuff that you don't normally do as far as the thumbtacks, tables, that, that kind of stuff. It was just kind of, you get into a particular mental zone. Uh, and you just kind of deal with it as it comes as opposed to really like worrying about it ahead of time. It's kind of like, all right, well, thumbtack's coming. Cool. Let's do it. Let's go. Man. Was there anything that you didn't do that was brought up to you as possibly doing in that bout, or did you just go all out? And nope. just Oh, wow. <laughs> nope. I, I mean, it was pretty much I, I had accepted that uh, things were going to get a little hairy in there. The only thing that I was just in the back of my head thinking was there will be no barbed wire whatsoever um and that never came up uh but it was never done how was it uh getting to be back in uh, nashville at the asylum i mean you not only got to beat an impact wrestling hall of famer but you got to do it in the house that he helped build there uh, and that's a big deal see I, i'd never been there uh, i've never been part of that era or that time or even ever been in that building so uh getting to be there and uh it was the place where Abyss was born, uh, and in a certain sense, it's the place where Abyss died, because um, that was, um, he came out of that very cage where I, I had cut that promo before the, the match. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of full circle in a sense for the company. What did you overall, I was I was at homecoming, I was sitting front row, I really enjoyed myself. Uh, what, what did you think of the show overall, though? Was that the kind of statement show you were looking for Impact to deliver first thing out of the year? I mean, if, if you listen to the crowd's reaction, if you kind of look at the reaction of everybody on social media and whatnot, I think I, I think it was uh, pleasing for everybody. Um, I, I think it came off very well. It was a big pop for the beginning of the year and a good way for us to um, get some eyes on us as we were about to move on to a new network. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I call it a statement show because it's that first show of the year because it is just it's so competitive right now. You know, there's so many players in the wrestling space right now. There's money being thrown around. I mean, do you in the locker room, do you feel that? Do you feel you, you're pushing yourselves harder 
because of the current landscape in pro wrestling? Of course. I mean, because the, the, the business is always evolving. You got to evolve with the business in a reasonable way. Uh, a lot of people try and evolve in ways that I can find completely unreasonable. Uh, and I don't agree with. So, um, but you still must evolve. You must be better than the guy next to you, uh, while at the same time still being able to work with the guy next to you. So, um, it's an interesting dynamic, and you look at the landscape now of wrestling, and, and things are starting to really pick up. Um, so that's very interesting, and uh, it, it's it's about to turn into a different ballgame, I think. I, I think so too, and I mean, I would imagine you are pot committed with Impact Wrestling. I mean, is this the place that you've decided to stake your flag and, and move forward for the next year or so? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been here for the past four years now. Um, they've taken care of me great, uh, and I've enjoyed my time here for sure. Well, it, it was cool to see you not just at Homecoming. You were part of the TV tapings the next night as well that I got to see. Um, and since I was at the tapings, I know that there was kind of a weird moment before you came out to address uh, Eddie Edwards where the power went out in the building. And, like, Tommy Dreamer had to come out. What's going through your head when something like that happens? And all of a sudden now you've got, like, a producer standing there in front of the live crowd. Well, the funny thing was I, I was I was completely comfortable in the sense that I was like, oh, this is fine. I'll just go in, I'll grab a microphone, and I'll talk until I realize that the microphone's not going to work because the power's out. <laughs> so so at that point, I was like, all right, well, we're going to make the best of it. And I just perched myself up on the turnbuckle, and I was like, all right, I'm going to start to tell a story. Uh, and I had no idea what I was going to talk about or where I was going to go. Uh, and then down marches uh, Tommy, Tommy Dreamer. Um, so we kind of had a back and forth. I took a quick survey. Who wants me to leave? Who wants me to stay? I think they wanted me to stay, actually. Um, and uh, then they just brought a match out, and I think I stayed to be the honorary bell ringer for a minute. And uh, I, it's just, you know, you just kind of, after doing this for so long uh, and and modeling myself after the guys that I, that I watched when I was growing up, it's just, I, I feel like you got to know how to roll with the punches and how to just be able to work and think on your feet. Yeah, it was definitely a. You, it, I'd never seen anything like it. I thought you guys handled it very well. But once you did get to talking again, um, you have set your sights. It seems like on Eddie Edwards and how violent and how hardcore he's become, especially in the wake of what happened between him and Sammy Callahan. Uh, you just went to war with Abyss. You talk about how you never want to be in thumbtacks again. Is that your motivation here for encouraging Eddie to revert back to the former Eddie Edwards? Well, yeah, I mean, look, you think about everything with, uh, look at the wrestling business today. You've got a bunch of guys jumping around doing uh, dangerous stunts and, and silly looking uh, little dance moves, it looks like, between their, you know, I'm going to dance before I kick you in the head or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> and then you got all the hardcore guys, you know, coming around with light tubes and steel chairs and all that crap. And something that Eddie Edwards seems to have picked up over the past year or so. And he actually is reminding me of a young Tommy Dreamer. Um, so, yeah, and it's kind of just giving him a reminder that before any of this happened, he was a multi-time champion, tag team champion, world champion, ex-division champion. Uh, and since he's taken on this hardcore thing, Big old crusade, none of that. I would uh, now. Don, Don Callis has talked about how we could be seeing an edgier product here uh, going forward. Um, you know, you, you, the way you described the dancing before. You know, Rich Swan does a bit of dancing, right? Obviously, Sammy Callahan is not afraid to get violent. Are you a fan of the kind of new direction that Impact is heading in—a more violent, sexualized direction? I, I look. I've always enjoyed my wrestling being a little bit more 
geared toward the adults um, personally. Uh, I think there's a way to do that without going over the top and being silly. Uh, I, th- I think if you look at WWE 1998-99, was it over the top? Sure it was, but they were still doing it well. Uh, you get into 04-05 and you got HLA and all this stupid crap and, and Katie Vick and things like that, and, and that's where it just gets dumb. Um, so it's kind of taking it to an extreme and reeling it in when you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you guys are, you guys are doing a lot of very different stuff across the board here. I mean, like I said, you've got your cruisers, you've got your hardcore division. You've got even a bit of the supernatural in the female division right now uh, as well. Um, you, you mentioned how this was all being done to make a statement as you guys moved to a new network. Uh, how, how have you thought the transition from pop T away from pop TV to pursuit and now, live on Twitch as well. Um, how do you think that move is gone, just in general? Well, it's an interesting dynamic because uh, Anthem actually owns Pursuit, so it makes it a little bit convenient in the sense that uh, there's a little bit of freedom as far as what we can do uh, for simulcasting, and that's why we're able to do Twitch uh, at the same time. So anybody who doesn't get the channel, they can also catch it on Twitch. Um, and Pursuit is, um, I guess, a bit of a... Uh, what would I call it? Um, it's kind of an outlier of a channel in a sense. So um, unless you have particular providers, it can be tough to come across. Uh, but uh, again, like I said, you can do that on Twitch. You can do it on GWN a few days later. Um, but, but I think it at least gives us some freedom um, to kind of do what we want since it's our channel. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of cool in a sense because now you can really uh, – kind of let the dog off the leash in a certain sense creatively uh, and see where that goes. And then that could bode well for future endeavors. You, you talk about how you see it pursued as what I think you called an alibi channel, which I think is a, a great way to, to describe it. I mean, do you oh, no, th- outlier, out, outlier? Oh, outlier channel. Okay. Sorry. Alibi. Yeah. Both, both are work. Both work. Um, but you, uh, you, uh, you guys are on pursuit. Now, do you guys, do you personally think that a TV deal is like necessary in the current wrestling landscape, or do you think we're itching to the point where you can just be a standalone internet product and, and maintain the same success financially? Uh, I, I think it's still necessary only because the, the biggest advertisers are still in television. Um, I think that it is eventually going to transition away to where I, I don't even think, I think cable is going to kind of eventually go the same way as, as just regular radio where people still listen to it. It still exists, but for the most part, they've got, MP3, they've got satellite radio, they've got Pandora, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think it's going to become something more like that, where streaming, um, that's going to kind of be the thing. So I think the companies that can really get to that and really uh, push that and find a way to monetize it properly to where it actually can replace television, uh, that will make television obsolete. But I think for now, I think television is still very important, again, because you're running a business at the end of the day. And so you need money for that. And the money for the most part, your best money you're going to get is from television advertising. Uh, fair. Uh, now the pursuit, I'd actually do have direct TV channel six Oh four. I can watch pursuit. I've checked out pursuit. I know it's a hunting uh, arms enthusiast channel. You are at shot show, which is like an arms convention. Do you see the natural overlap between arms enthusiasts and pro wrestlers? How, how were they reacting to the convention? We actually had some pretty good traffic while we were there. Uh, you know, a lot of people were excited to see us there. Um, so it was pretty cool. And 
I mean, it was definitely a different show. Uh, I've been here for Olympia. Um, I've never been here for the SHOT show until today. Um, it was definitely cool. Uh, in a certain sense, I, I can see how it works out for us. Um, I, I think there's a certain built-in audience in a certain way. At the same time, it's almost kind of a, we're kind of a sore thumb on the channel, which is kind of a good thing because it makes us stand out. And then it's, oh, wait a minute. What, what's, what's this show doing on my channel? Oh, wait, this is kind of interesting. Okay, I'm going to stick around for this. And then you, you build fans and, and then build an audience that way. Yeah. Uh, lastly here, you're in Vegas. You guys are going back to Vegas next month in February. Uh, what are you hoping to accomplish? Do you, are you trying to get back into the Impact World title picture? Or you want to stick stick it to Eddie Edwards? What's on your mind here heading into Vegas? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for the gold. I'm always looking for those titles. But uh, it's, it's pretty much um, when we come to Vegas, putting on the best damn show we can. You're talking about three days in a row at Samstown. It's going to be a good time. Uh, and of course, um, you never know what could happen with Eddie and I. Uh, last week, what, what happened on TV? I, I think I did uh, when I did commentary on his match. I pretty much dressed him down, let him know what the deal is. We'll see. Maybe he'll come around. Uh, maybe he'll see what I'm saying. He'll see the light. So you never know. But uh, Vegas, it's the place to be if you're around. If you can make your way there, February 15th, 16th, 17th, you want to be there. And uh, otherwise, check us out on Pursuit. Check us out on Twitch. At this time, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show the composer for the upcoming film, Fighting With My Family, Vic Sharma. Vic, welcome to the Winkley. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, now, I my girlfriend is a uh, music... She has a master's in music, right? Oh, yeah, great. yeah, and I've that's ne- worrying. Is yeah, I know she's very smart. I'm I'm not I'm not in her league, but I bring this up only because I've never interviewed a composer before in my years of covering wrestling, and I asked her for a joke to start the interview off with. So she wrote one for me. Can I tell you the joke? Hit me. Okay. Here's my here's the composer joke I have to start the interview. It's a question. She asks, did you pull a John Williams and just rip off Tchaikovsky and other romantic <laughs> Russian composers? Yeah, that's good. It's a good one. <laughs> well, did you? No, man, it's not that kind of score. Oh. I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right for Paige to do Tchaikovsky, to do John Williams, to do strings or anything like that. You know, that's we a... went another way entirely. Man, this is good. I'm glad. I'm glad she gave me that starter. So, what kind of? So, what is? First of all, what does a composer fully do? Like, what? What did you do for fighting with my family here? So, uh, what you do is you get a director's cut of the movie, and you get um, you sit down with the director, and you identify moments in the cut of the film which need music. Um, and you discuss at length the style of music required. Um, uh, and then you kind of, you go ahead and start writing it and you, I mean, what I did was, um, you know, I wrote it alone, uh, just, uh, on my guitar and then I pulled in a bunch of people to kind of, uh, to make it more cinematic. That's really that sounds like a lot of fun. Now, when you talk about the tone and the style of music you look for in the film, what what kind of what is the tone and the style you are going for here for music with fighting with my family? Well, it's uh it's it's a rock score, so it's kind of it's guitar led. Um uh 
and we um you know Stephen Merchant the director had uh, very uh, he had a kind of idea that he didn't want to have keys he didn't want to have pianos keyboards pad sounds anything like that and he didn't want to have strings um but what he wanted to do was lead with the guitar so yeah it's kind of it's different to um uh, scores that you might ordinarily hear in that you don't there are no strings and there are no pianos i mean we squeezed in a few piano sort of sequences um but for the most part it's entirely guitar led now it's got to be interesting doing a, doing this score for a pro wrestling movie because there's really not like many pro wrestling movies. I mean, were you a pro wrestling fan before you got approached for doing Fighting with My Family? No, I, I didn't know that much about wrestling. Um, about WWE, all I knew um, was that it had this reputation for producing kind of incredible talent so i was aware of obviously um dwayne johnson and uh, john cena and dave bautista mm -hmm. and you know was aware of their work and thought that they were all kind of like incredible comedic talents and that they had all kind of emerged out of the wwe so that was kind of what I was aware of, but I didn't really, I wasn't, um, someone, I mean, it's not as big here as it is in the, in the U S. So, um, you know, it's, it's more difficult to catch over here. I, I would, I think you'd be very surprised with how vibrant the, the UK scene is. In fact, I know some of our UK listeners are going to want to hit you up on Twitter and drag you to a progress show or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look forward to that. Good. Let's indoctrinate you. Let's get Vic into the, the pro wrestling community here. So when you're yeah. so when you're sitting around and, and you're thinking about like the style and the tone and what kind of you know instruments you want to use and everything, you said it's you and the director. But you know this was WWE Studios Seven Bucks production. Did you have any interaction with like Vince or The Rock? Did they have any input on like the musical score for the movie? No. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's um, not what they do. Okay. <laughs> absolutely none. Oh, okay. No, I, I, I mean, the way it works is, is that, you know, my, you know, the chain of command is I answered to the director. So the director hired me. Mm -hmm. um, and what I, what I understand about the, the birth of the project is that, you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson saw this uh, UK documentary, which is also called fighting with my family, which was about Paige and, uh, and where she came from and her family and her brother. And uh, he then approached Stephen Merchant to write and direct it. And he kind of empowered Stephen to make all creative decisions on it. So, okay. you know, obviously, you know, screening, uh, they, they would they would be uh, given screenings and they would feed back. But that all kind of filtered through back through Stephen Merchant, mm -hmm. the director that made that basically enable it gave me the courage to fail you know and mess up because you know when you've got the rock over your shoulder kind of looking at you as you're playing the guitar or whatever it's kind of nerve-wracking but um you know just having steven to answer to met that we meant that we could kind of we could go up some creative cul-de-sacs you know we could get, hit some dead ends come back and finally arrive on a sound that everybody was happy with did you know the rock plays guitar i did not <laughs> You didn't no. know that. You didn't know that. Oh man! No, I didn't know that. Is he, is, he, is he a fine guitar player? He's he's all right. He's not Elias good, but he uh, and I don't know that you probably get that joke since you're not a wrestling fan. But anyway, <laughs> I would empower you to go on YouTube and look up the Rock concert from Monday Night Raw, 
um, where he played guitar and sang silly songs about the wrestlers on the roster. You can watch him. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, he's. Uh, I mean, I've seen Moana. I have kids. Oh. So I mean, I'm aware that he. I mean, the guy's multi-talented. I mean, he's immense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me that he can play guitar. Well, I was doing a little research into you, and you bring up Stephen Merchant. Uh, I did not know that you did the music for An Idiot Abroad, uh, Ricky Gervais's show, which I've watched and I really enjoy. And I was going to hold off on bringing it up uh, until as late in the interview as I could, but I'm going to bring it up now. Can <laughs> okay. you can you talk a little? Because it sounds like you got hooked up with this via Stephen and the work you guys did on An Idiot Abroad. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, Stephen... Um... You know, Stephen's a very hands-on guy, so um, he executive produced uh, An Idiot Abroad, um, but was kind of, you know, very hands-on in the edit suite. So he had an opportunity to work with my music firsthand. And we actually knew each other socially, um, and he was already immensely successful. So I didn't ever bug him to, you know, for work. Right. Um but he, but he kind of like, you know, he fed back and said, you know, um, this stuff really works. I really like it. And uh, then when he had an opportunity to work uh, on the Hello Ladies, which was his comedy series for HBO. Right. He, he approached me to write the music for that, to write the music for the pilot. Um, so, yeah, we've worked together on a number of occasions. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's fantastic to work with. He's a complete joy. The, those are silly, fun projects. Do you do you see yourself as somebody who just naturally scores comedies pretty well? I am king of the comedy tuber, man. Oh, I mean, man. there's no one that no one there's no one who can touch me. Um, but you know, it, fighting with my family is, you know, there are, it, you know, there are loads of jokes and it's funny, but you know, it's uh, it's also you know serious and quite moving. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this was an opportunity to sort of like to, to dip into sort of uh, a more serious style as well, as well as doing the more kind of comedic stuff. I mean, the thing about Stephen Merchant is he is, you know, it's character driven. His comedy is char- character driven. So it isn't that, that kind of, um, you know, uh, comedy music per se, you know. So the stuff like we did for Hello Ladies was all kind of like blue eyed soul, you know. Yeah. Um, which was loads of fun to do, but it was all kind of like electric keyboards and kind of like, you know, uh, had a real groove to it and a soulfulness to it because that's what you wanted to kind of evoke in the characters. That similarly, you know, doing Fighting With My Family, which is about, um, obviously about Paige, and, you know, we wanted an edge and an attitude, and that's where we went to the guitar and went to a kind of British punk sound and that that was the kind of sensibility we landed on for that. So it's not comedic per se, but yeah, I do tend to do a lot of comedy work. Yeah, and was it? And you say it was fun for you to branch out a bit because that's one of the questions I was going to ask you is if you saw this movie as a comedy. But it sounds like it's not just a comedy. It sounds like there's more weight to it than you know, like an idiot abroad, which is a lot of silliness. You know. Yeah, I mean, you know, an idiot abroad's out and out kind of silliness. So I was yeah. able to literally throw the kitchen sink at it you know um whereas this yeah this is really a coming of age story um about Paige's beginnings you know and about her her kind of you know her doubt and ultimate realization that kind of all the things that she was made to feel 
bad about growing up, the fact that she was different, the fact that her family were wrestlers, that she sat outside the mainstream, all of those things kind of were ended up being the things that gave her strength, you know, and uh, and transformed her into a celebrity. So, you know, comedy tube, but not necessarily appropriate uh, when scoring those more emotional scenes, you know. I love the the phrase comedy Chiba. I I just, you know, it's not a phrase I've ever used or heard here in the states, but you know, when I get when your name comes up now, that's all I'm going to be able to think about. Um what a great phrase. Now, had have you met Paige? Have you talked to her? Has she come to uh, stop by and, and chat with you about the music at all? No. no? Oh man. No, unfo- okay. Unfortunately, no. I mean, you know, the 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 life of a composer is you know it's like a hermit you just uh you know you just get sort of you just get sent a bunch of instructions which you then have to fulfill you know it would have been, obviously it would have been awesome to to meet with her uh and to discuss it but you know ultimately you know it's a it, it's a cre- the movie is a creative interpretation of her life um written directed by Stephen Merchant so i have to kind of it, you know, I have to answer to him, you know, yeah. um, and, um, you know, the music is supposed to evoke, you know, elements of her character, which he has, he wants to kind of delve into and to explore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, ultimately, even though it would have been great and I do look forward to meeting her if I, if I have the opportunity, it may not have necessarily been, um, a good thing. You know, it may have sort of like, I may have started wanting to please her rather than please the director and the producers of the movie. Yeah, and that's why I brought it up because I know Paige. It's 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 cool to hear you talk about that uh, British punk rock sound you bring to this film because that very much screams Paige the person to me. And I know that she's very passionate about music and stuff. That's just why I I asked if she had uh, talked to you at all about that. Um, it's got to be cool for her though, uh, being like a cool British rocker. Uh, to know that Blur's guitarist Graham Coxon worked with you on this film, uh, I'm a, I like I you know I'm 33. Blur was a big part of my childhood. Uh, how did you and Graham hook up, and what was his contributions to this film? Well, you know we we decided that we once we decided we were going to go down the Br- British punk route, we needed to. You know, Stephen was kind of fascinated with this idea about um, working with an A-list guitar player. Um, so, you know, it's the, the number of people who were kind of uh, expert in, in kind of punk music and were, were well known, um, uh, started to reduce, um, uh, but, but coincidentally, I, you know, I actually live, he's not a neighbor, but I live kind of close to Graham and I'd seen him around and had an opportunity to just, um, go out, you know, have a cup of coffee with him and I pitched the movie to him and he was kind of into it immediately. So he, you know, I've got a little writer's studio uh, and he came into the studio and just picked up the guitar and started uh, kind of jamming. And there was a kind of instant chemistry. Um, And, you know, thankfully he liked the stuff that I'd been writing and, you know, he would just basically come in, you know, he vapes like a, a complete champion so he just came in and it was all huge plumes of kind of custard tart vape and just would just you know pull out this these extraordinary hand-built guitars that he'd have made wow and 
and he would just just go for it you know i would sort of lay out all of the the piece you know play the demos and literally you know within seconds he'd pick it up and he'd just start thrashing out and i'd sort of like grab like 20 or 30 takes of his guitar um and it was just it was obviously it was absolute joy i like you you know i was around in the 90s and um um you know uh, for if you grew up in the uk you know you know there's a the the dna from you know the stones in the 60s and you know zeppelin and then the clash and you know and then bands like the cure and and then it leads to blur you know and so it was uh it was a complete thrill that um that he uh that he decided to to come on board to the project Wow, that is such a cool story you just told me. You're there. That's the clip I'm going to pull for. We'll turn that into a little thing. We'll pass around on social media. Um, I'm going to be envisioning you and Graham in this room filled with vape smoke, jamming out while I'm watching Fighting With My Family now. It's a very cool visual. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the score, I mean, hopefully we capture that, you know, in the score, that it is kind of like it's alive and it has that kind of kinetic energy um that we tried you know that we had in the studio because it was basically just the two of us and you know and then we i was also fortunate enough to work with the uh, we brought the drummer from the cure in jason cooper what they've, they've just been nominated uh for rock, the rock and roll hall of fame wow uh, in fact they're going to be inducted so you know he plays drums on the score um so you know we had a kind of uh we sort of like built this uh kind of um this this rock band of of star players um plus me <laughs> so you know i was you know it was a, it was a complete thrill blur and the cure i feel like that's like blur cure right that's the super <laughs> band name wow that's yeah. that's badass my yeah. friend um you you've seen the final film yes with everything put together I have, yeah. Um, what do you think? Is this a movie that non-wrestling fans can also enjoy? Oh, I think so. I think absolutely. I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, this is a coming-of-age story um, about a young woman, um, sort of like uncertain, vulnerable in ways, but who has a gift. Um, and, you know, it's about, you know, the the flowering of that talent uh, and the journey that she goes on. And I think, you know, that's something for me, which is, is like a universal story. Um, and the fact that it's sort of like set in the wrestling community, I think just gives it a kind of, gives it an extra flavor, you know, um, because the wrestling, you know, wrestling obviously is hugely popular, but, you know, uh, there are sort of very pat criticisms that are laid at it, you know, which are addressed in the movie, you know, that it's sort of like it's fake and it's kind of choreographed and all this. But what the movie does is shows the level of effort, um, the kind of talent um, that it takes to succeed. Um, and, you know, you know, you've got to be physically kind of like on point, but also there's, you know, you've got to win the crowd. Uh, and that takes a that takes a particular kind of personality to achieve that. So you know, all of those things are touched on in the movie, which I think have a kind of universal resonance. You know, what was the coolest thing you learned? You're not a wrestling person, which we kind of addressed, but like, what's the coolest thing you learned about wrestling while making this movie? Where you were like, oh, I didn't know that, or I find that kind of interesting. I mean, you know, it's re wrestling is it's 
I mean, I don't want to say anything which makes me look like a doofus. It's all right. But, you know, wrestling is like, you know, it's like it's like dancing with benefits. Right. I mean, it's like it, it is. It's this incredible. It takes this incredible effort to to, you, you know, there's a scene in the movie where um, Zach and Paige are, you know, uh, auditioning for the WWE NXT. And, you know, Zach is whispering in Paige's ear you know, all of these kind of moves that they, they're going to string together in order to impress Vince Vaughn's character. And, you know, all of, you know, the, the level of training and the sophistication of the choreography and all of that kind of stuff, that was, that was new to me and hugely impressive. Yeah. Very cool that Vince Vaughn's in this too. Like, I'm a, I, you know, again, child in the 90s, it's like swingers. And, <laughs> you know, all these, all these other great things came to my mind when I saw Vince was in there too. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's got. I think Stephen's really got. A, uh, you'll see a different side of Vince Vaughn. I mean, he there. There's one. You know, he he. You know, he's still got it. I mean, he can still unleash that kind of uh, uh, wedding crashes, kind of fast talking, mm. uh, sort of comedic style. But this is actually something a lot more kind of serious and powerful that he he reveals. So yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, an interesting uh, sort of uh, different performance from him. That's awesome, man. Uh, and I just think it's funny. Like you don't need to worry about being a doofus, man. You're the composer for an idiot abroad, right? <laughs> I, like we're all a little silly and dumb here. We're talking about pro wrestling. I also on the way out, I have to give you credit. You've had some great lines in this interview comedy chiba never forget but also referring to pro wrestling as dancing with benefits is maybe <laughs> the best way i've ever heard anyone describe professional wrestling and i'm i'm gonna walk in the other room and, and tell that one to my my girlfriend here as i wrap up the, the end with the beginning uh you've been wonderful to talk with vic uh do you want to send uh, any everyone out there listening somewhere to find more about you on social media or something like that yeah, but you know you can follow me um, on uh, I'm at Audio Buffer uh, on Twitter. Um, so yeah, by all means, follow me um, and uh, you know let's hook up and meet virtually. And thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. This was our final Winkly Live for a while. Now, like I said, we're we're gonna be moving just over to the iTunes format. I think you guys are gonna get better audio. You're gonna get a better show, in my opinion. But that doesn't make we mean we won't occasionally be back here uh, with a Winkly Live when appropriate, or I'll pop up on a review show or something like that. But this is going to be an audio-only show going forward, so subscribe to Wrestling Inc. Audio. You're going to get the <laughs> Winkly Tuesday through Thursday afternoon. It'll be out earlier than it has in the past, again, because of this new setup. So Wrestling Inc. Audio, if you want to get more from me, Justin, Michael Weissman, and all the interviews we drop here on the Winkly. Uh, last night, NXT did tape their latest episodes that are going to be coming out. If you're interested in NXT spoilers, we didn't talk about any of them on the show here today because I respect you as listeners. And so if you want those spoilers, go over to wrestlinginc.com right now. We got the full <laughs> NXT spoilers. And of course we are continuing to monitor the fallout from the Royal rumble and the build to elimination chamber. I have two big interviews I'm going to be doing here today and tomorrow that are going to roll out next week. I don't even want to say what they are, because I haven't recorded them yet, and if they don't happen, one of them doesn't happen for any reason, I don't want to be let down, but I can promise you guys, we're going to start this audio-only Winkly week off very strong next week. I promise you that. It's because of my face, right? That's why we're going audio-only. It's because of me. No, I mean, it was a tough call. It was, you know, look, for me, it comes down to the the post-Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-view stuff. That's all destination programming. 
you guys want to jump in after a pay-per-view, chat it up, what just happened. You're in that moment. You got that vibe. Noon Eastern, Tuesday through Thursday, you may be eating a sandwich, maybe whatever. And also for me, I'm a, I'm a podcast guy. I like to go to iTunes, download it, throw my earbuds in, go run on the treadmill, and, and enjoy my content that way. It's hard for me to sit there and be on the treadmill or looking at my, my phone watching a, a video of Justin Labar talking, talking the news. You know what I mean? Uh, well, okay, I'm, I'm all for it. If we're going to start inspiring people while they're on the treadmill, then let's do that. Uh, and this should hopefully also lead. I've got I've got some big plans here for Wrestling Inc. Audio and, and podcast in 2019. So hopefully this opens the door for some other cool stuff we're going to be doing. Uh, and with that, Justin, where would you like to send people to find you, follow you, and all of your many adventures? At Justin Labar. Awesome. And I am uh, Nick Hausman at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thanks for another awesome week here of uh, Punditine. Thank you again to Raj for jumping in yesterday on the Winkly as I was trapped in my apartment here in Shiberia. And with that, remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.